You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. While our world is in a season of uncertainty, we know God rules over all things. In this series, we'll explore the opportunity before us to reflect, recalibrate our lives, and return to God with all of our hearts. This morning, we're going to be in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So I'm going to read this passage for us. I'll pray, and then we will dive into the text, all right? So if you have a written copy, like something that you can tangibly put in your hands, I would encourage you to grab that, pick it up, and read it. We will have the passage on your screens, but there's something about having the Word of God in your hands. So Joel chapter 2, 12 through 17 says this. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may return and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. Blow the horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, especially in the season of life that we are experiencing right now. But I pray that our current experiences would be giving us a sensitivity to your word that maybe we've never experienced in our life. I pray that for this very moment, as we gather, even if it's online, God, that you would allow us, where we are sitting this morning, to experience the goodness of who you are and that you would come and speak intimately to us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We haven't shared this broadly yet, except for right now, but Cherish is pregnant with our fourth child. So we decided that we were going to go plant a church from the ground up in a new city, move our whole entire family, and then add a kid on top of that. And then God had a little bit of sense of humor to allow us to be in the season of our country that we are in right now. So we thought it through. But we are about 16 weeks into the pregnancy, so Cherish has a little bit of a baby bump. You wouldn't probably have seen it a few weeks ago if you were to see her, but you would see it now. So since we're 16 weeks in, we don't know the gender of this baby yet, but Cherish is certainly experiencing all the symptoms of a pregnancy. And these are all the similar things that she's experienced with all the other pregnancies that she's been a part of, but... With it likely being our last, they just seem to stand out a little bit more. 
So she's experiencing nausea. I commonly call this morning sickness, but I think it should be called all day sickness because that's exactly what she's experiencing right now. Exhaustion. She has three little boys that she's having to wrestle around the house all day long on top of trying to grow another human inside of her body. So her body's just exhausted and all of her senses are heightened. So she has a house full of boys, so there are numerous smells that she has to put up with already, and it's just heightened in this, this moment. Her sense of smell is just really strong. The only time that I ever see pickles and grapefruit in the refrigerator are during pregnancy, so there's just, her taste buds are all out of whack as well. So they're just, all of her senses are heightened right now, and it's just a reminder that pregnancy is such a shock to the system. We too have experienced a shock to our system during this global pandemic. If I could sum up what I've experienced in the last few weeks into just one word, I would put it into the word of loss. Our entire former way of life is gone. And not only have most of our workplaces shut down or moved remotely, but it felt like our jobs even changed almost overnight. Whether you like it or not, you became a homeschool family in a matter of days. We crave social interactions to the point where we are willing to drive to a parking lot, park yards apart from each other, and sit in our trunks just so that we can have an in-person conversation. One of my favorite Christian authors, Andy Crouch, recently tweeted this, which I felt like helped put a, a humorous twist on it. Honestly, I I hadn't planned on giving up quite this much for Lent. And to just turn it a little bit deeper, it doesn't seem like life will just go back to the way that it used to be. This pandemic has changed everything. And whether you're watching this in Louisville, in the United States, or even in other country, every one of us has felt the effects of this pandemic. Our senses are heightened due to the amount and the timing of all that we've lost. There's been a shock to our system. But in the midst of this, I do think there's a positive. I think there's an opportunity in the difficulty for all of us. And that opportunity is for us to reassess. We can reassess our commitments, our priorities, our schedules, our values, all things that you've probably thought about up to this point, but most importantly, our relationships. And so here's my ask for you this morning. Would you give serious thought to your your relationship with God? See, we live in a very affluent culture. A politician just a matter of months ago said we are the richest country in the history of the world. And up to this point, we have been fortunate to experience many blessings in this life. But there is a danger to our affluency, and it's this, pride. Deuteronomy 8 says this, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands ordinances and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in 
and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud, and you forget the Lord your God. In our former way of life, many of us, likely most of us, in some form or fashion or way, in an area of our life, had forgotten the Lord our God because we didn't feel like we needed Him. Our jobs, our finances, and even our relationships seem to provide or at least appease the deep felt needs that we feel deep within our bones. In a, a call recently with Pastor Lyle, um, he mentioned just how the Lord's prayer seems more real to him now than it ever has been. I mean, before the last three weeks, when was the last time that you went to a Kroger or your local grocery store and had to pray or hope that there was toilet paper or just a bag of chicken that you could bring home? See, in the midst of this pandemic, we have the opportunity to reassess our dependency and our intimacy with the Lord our God. And I think the book of Joel, particularly the passage that we're looking at this morning, helps us do that. See, during the, the time of the prophet Joel, God's people also experienced the shock to their system. Around the time, Joel appears around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's soon after Israel's exile from Babylon. They're returning back to the promised land. So think about the time of Daniel and all the stories of the life of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. It's almost immediately after those stories. And as they are returning, there's a swarm of locusts that destroys all of Israel's crops, reminiscent of the eighth plague in Exodus as the Lord is freeing God's people from captivity in Egypt. And this plague was felt at every level of society because Israel was an agricultural economy. Literally every person had a hand in the crops or the things that were going on with the agricultural system at that time. So everyone felt it. Their senses were heightened because of the immense loss that they had just experienced. And here's the thing that Israel was wrestling with. That in the midst of living in the promised land, in the midst of affluency, in the midst of them growing and everything increasing, they had forgotten the Lord, their God. So Joel steps in to bring a word from God to his people, and it's a message of repentance. He foretells of another locust plague that is coming, using the old past experience, recent past experience, and foretelling of a new one. And this time, the locust plague is, des is described as the Calvary of God, and it literally destroys everything in its path. Even the world is changed. The sun is darkened and the earth quakes. And Joel, just before our passage this morning, ends all of this prophecy in verse 11 by saying, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? So Joel calls on the people to repent and to pray, saying this, verse 12. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your hearts, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So here's what I want us to do this morning. 
I want us to consider the Lord's call to repent and return to him. And here's how I want us to do this. I want to work through this passage and I want us to answer two one-word questions. How and why? First question of how we'll find in the verse, very first two verses of our passage this morning, verses 12 and 13. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And look at this. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. How do we repent and return to the Lord our God? We tear our hearts. There's one definition of repentance that I love, and it goes like this. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. You may have seen a pastor use an illustration if you grew up in church where he was walking across the stage, and as he's walking across the stage, he describes himself as walking down the path of sin. And as he's describing what repentance is, he describes as he stops that repentance isn't just the stopping of sin, but it's the turning away of sin and returning to the Lord your God. Which all of this is true. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards the Lord your God. But the illustration misses one particular thing that is so important, and it's the posture of a repentant heart. Repentance can often be a show just to get you out of trouble. In Joel's time, you could show outward signs that your repentance was sincere, but outwardly, it was just a show. You could shed literal tears and refrain from eating food to appear weak to those that are around you. You could attend large prayer gatherings where you pray long and loud prayers for all to hear. You could even rip your clothes apart as a sign of absolute dejection over your own sin. And we can do similar things too. Vulnerability is a very highly valued quality in our time and day right now, and rightfully so. We all want to be sincere, honest individuals. But we've learned that we can gain positive attention when we show signs of being transparent, and we do this in many different ways. We can tearfully confess things to people like our community groups or our friends, close close friends or even accountability partners, where it seems that there's true repentance that's going on in our life. We can post vulnerable videos of ourselves on things like Instagram stories, where we are allowing people to peer into what seems our own souls. We can write lengthy messages on our Facebook pages, where we're allowing people to experience the difficulty and struggle that we're having in our own particular life. But here's the thing. We don't address our sin with God. All of these things are really just torn clothes. God isn't interested in the show. Rather than torn clothes, God desires torn hearts. After David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband, he wrote a prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, and it goes like this. 
You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. In our instance, you're not pleased with torn clothes. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. What God desires is not an outward show for people to gaze in on that looks like we are truly repenting from the sin that dwells deep within our own hearts. Rather, what he desires is a broken spirit and torn hearts in its place. And here's the thing, here's the question, the problem that many of us may be wrestling with this morning. We've experienced a lot of loss. We realize that life is shaken up and will no longer go back to the way it was. We may experience a sensitivity in our life that we've never experienced before. But unless we truly have owned up to our own sin, any outward expressions that we have regarding our own sin are merely torn clothes, and it's not what God desires. And the problem for us is that we cannot produce torn hearts on our own. And if that's the case, then what are we to do? How do we deal with our sin and our hardened hearts? Well, the Bible gives us an answer in 1 John chapter 5. If we don't have a broken spirit, if we don't have torn hearts over our sin, we can merely pray. 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says this, This is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him already. So if this is you this morning, if you see ways that you have forgotten the Lord your God, the way that you functioned three weeks ago and it seems like life is never going to go back to the way it formerly was, if your heart is softened to the sin that you've committed towards others and to God ultimately himself, but yet at the same time do not have a torn spirit or a broken spirit, pray. Pray and the Lord will answer because it falls in line with his will. It's his desire for your own life that you would have a softened heart to the Lord your God, that you would repent of your sin that has separated you and your relationship from him, and that you would return to an intimacy that you can have with the true living God. We own our sin. We own where we've forgotten God in our life. We own where we've lacked dependency in Him. And we pray. We pray and we tear our hearts. We turn from our sin. We turn towards God. And we do it with torn hearts. Which leads us to our second question of why. In the midst of this pandemic, you're probably wrestling with a lot of doubt, and rightfully so. You may be having questions that are running through your mind frequently like this. 
How could a God, a good and powerful God, allow such suffering in the world? Where is he in the midst of this pandemic and why isn't he doing something about it? And if you're really honest with yourself, it may be leading you to the question, why would I even want to return to the Lord? There's so much suffering that's going on around me. If there's so much suffering that I'm experiencing in my own personal life, why would I want to return to that God? Well, Joel appeals to the character of this very God. Verses 13 and 14, Joel says this. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And he relents from sending disaster. And who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. See, what this is is a quote from Exodus 34, which is right after Israel has worshipped the golden calf. God has delivered Israel from its hundred years of captivity in Egypt. And as soon as Israel gets into the wilderness, they begin to worship a man-made God, this golden calf. And God's anger, his response is anger, and it boils up against the nation of God. But Moses appeals to God on behalf of the people, and God relents. And then we get the following words that Joel quotes from Exodus 34. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not claiming that the coronavirus is a judgment from God. Here's what I do want to claim this morning, though, is that even if it is a judgment, that God's grace is more powerful than his judgment. You see, we can look back on previous experiences like Exodus 34, where how, see how God has responded in the past, and it's indicative of how he responds to us in the present when we come to him with repentant and torn hearts. He responds with compassion and grace. So here's the thing. We may not get all the answers to why God allowed this current pandemic or why he continues to allow suffering to occur in the world. But if our current experience is anger and frustration towards God, I do believe we have to wrestle with this. If you have a God who is big enough, who is strong enough, who is powerful enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped suffering in the world, then you have to, at the same time, reckon that this big, great and powerful God came to earth in human flesh, as a pastor says it, to deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering. You see, you can't look at the life and ministry of Jesus and think that God is just indifferent. We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, and what we've seen is regularly crowds are following Jesus step for step, bringing the sick bringing the disease to Jesus, literally as their last and final hope. And Jesus looks upon them with compassion and heals them. And on top of that, God ultimately dealt with the issue of suffering once and for all through the crucified 
Lord Jesus. God took on flesh in order to suffer and endure the brutality of the cross in our place. And because of what God endured in our place, any suffering that we endure now, God uses for our good. Our God is not one that's off in the vast distance who's looking on our current suffering with indifference. We don't have the reasons why suffering continues or why this pandemic is happening, but we can revert back to fall on the very character of who our God is, and He's compassionate and gracious, and He's proved it, not just in theory, but in human history through the sending of His Son, who ultimately and deliberately was put on the hook of human suffering for us. Oftentimes, suffering is the refining fire we needed in order to spur growth and change in our life. Just like we said, our God is the one. He's, he uses the suffering in our life now, things that are bad, and turns them for our good. One pastor puts it like this. Many people have to admit that most of what they really needed for success in life came to them through the most difficult and painful experiences. My wife and I have experienced infertility. We've experienced life-threatening illnesses. We've experienced loss, heartache, difficulty, much like you as you're tuning in this morning. Yet both of us would affirm this very sentiment that there are ways that we never would have changed or grown if God would have spared us from those difficulties in our life. Through those experiences, we're now the people that we are today, and we wouldn't be them apart from those hardships that we had to endure. I came across a story that I think puts it really well for us this morning. It says this, I knew a man in my first parish who had lost most of his eyesight after he was shot in the face during a drug deal gone bad. He told me that he had been an extremely selfish and cruel person, but he had always blamed his constant legal and relational problems on others. The loss of his sight had devastated him, but had also profoundly humbled him. He said this, as my physical eyes were closed, my spiritual eyes were opened, as it were. I finally saw how I'd, be tri- how I'd been treating people. I changed, and now for the first time in my life, I have friends, real friends. It was a terrible price to pay, and yet I must say, listen to this, it was worth it. I finally have what makes it worthwhile. So why repent and return to the Lord? Because He is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. And He's abounding in faithful love. We all have a sin issue that we have to deal with. There's no one that can overlook it. We all have to deal with it. The question is, where are you going to turn in order to deal with your sin problem? 
You can turn and come to the Lord your God who is compassionate and gracious. He's proven it over the course of human history. Or we can spiral out in anger and frustration and never return to the Lord your God and try to deal with your sin problem in some other way. The issue is, is it does not work. So heed Joel's words. Repent and return to the Lord your God. If there's anyone that can take something that was bad and turn it to good, it is our God who is in heaven. What brings us to the question of when should we repent? And according to Joel, the time is now. Joel 2, 15-16 says this, Blow the horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the infants. What Joel is communicating here is a sense of urgency. You don't wait. Rather, you act fast. If there is a fire that is going on in your home and the fire alarm starts going off in the middle of the night, you do not look over at your alarm clock and say, I still have time. No, you respond to the smoke alarm. You get your wife and your family out of the house and make sure that everyone is safe. You work to the best of your ability to save your own life. And that's the same call that Joel gives us this morning. If you look at this passage at the end, what he has given us here is that this is something, it's a communal act. It's something we're all supposed to do. Every single one of us, from the age to the infant that is nursing on its mother's breast, we all are called to return to the Lord our, our God. Blow the horn in Zion. Respond with immediacy. And there's no excuse even those that seem to have the best excuse. You don't wake a nursing babe from its mom. You don't sleep the rest of the night. You don't go, go and wrap the door of a man and a woman that are in the honeymoon suite. But those are the exact examples that Joel uses in this passage. There is no one with excuse. We cannot say, yeah, but the time to repent is now. And since now is the time, I want to give us some questions to consider. Ways that we can wrestle, reassess, and examine our own life now that can lead us towards repentance. And before I dive into the questions that are about to appear on your screen, maybe you're watching this for the very first time. Maybe you've never truly turned to the Lord your God. Now's the time. Trust in Jesus. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death you were supposed to die. All in your place in order that you could be made right with the Lord your God. Return and repent and return to him.
For those of us that have done this in the past, but maybe forgot the Lord our God in the midst of affluency, here's some questions for us to consider. First, are there any relationships in my life, whether it be personal or professional, that are not right? Are there any relationships in my life, whether personal or professional, that are not right? Second, am I loving the people in my life well? And notice that I did not place just the people that you like in here. Notice that I did not place just the people that you run into the most. All the people that the Lord has brought into your life, are you a person that loves them well? Third, do I lack gratitude or have a sense of entitlement in any area of my life? The idea that life will not return to the way that formerly was. Do you feel entitled to it? Or is God leading you to a sense of gratitude for what he has given you, what remains in your life? Are there any behaviors in my life, number four, that compromise my integrity, credibility, or influence? Number five, am I living out biblical truth in every area of my life? The Bible calls us to live a life that's worthy of our Christ and Savior of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say that of your life? And number six, is there an area of stubbornness or disobedience that I'm allowing to remain in my life? Something that you've known for quite some time and maybe you've managed it, but you've never truly dealt with it. Is there an area of stubbornness or disobedience that remains in your life? Wrestle with these questions. Reassess your life. Examine your heart. And who knows? Maybe God is leaving us with a blessing in this pandemic. And at the end of it, we can say, I finally have what makes it all worthwhile. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.